Let's go to work. As barbers, we cut hair and fade all day. This podcast goes beyond the barber's chair and is about the rest of our story. Positioning ourselves for success, avoiding costly mistakes, and continuing to grow and thrive as barbers for years to come. Join us as we look at the whole world of barbering and go beyond the barber's chair. The MGM uh, Casino Group made a lot of noise in the news. They had been hit with a ransomware and uh, they didn't want to pay it. They wanted to investigate it. They wound up losing about $100 million on it. And uh, you know, ransomware is one of those things that can hit big companies and they can also hit small guys. You know, like a shop or an individual barber, just depends on how cybersecurity is put together. There was a uh, story of, uh, I guess, about 10 years ago, an aquarium's thermometer was used to be able to break into the network. Uh, some of these uh, fish tanks have very sophisticated care systems and they operate on the network on through the internet. A hacker was able to get through through that. Kean Williams is a uh, cybersecurity expert. He travels the world teaching people about cybersecurity and helping companies put together plans of action and implementing them to protect them from ransomware or other kinds of hackers or any kind of other problems that can come up from the computer issues. He started out in the Army as a chemical weapons specialist and then worked in the communications security for the Army Reserve Command Headquarters. Since then, he has served in various IT and security positions for the Center for Disease Control. I had a chance to sit down with him for quite a bit and discuss cybersecurity and how we barbers can protect ourselves from the threats that are out there. I'm not going to try to summarize any of it. I'm just going to go straight to the interview. Ian, thank you very much for your time today. And I know you're real busy with everything, so I re- appreciate you taking some time to chat with us for a little bit here. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I was recently in Las Vegas about three weeks ago for the Las Vegas Barber Expo. And the news going around for the Uber drivers was they're talking about how downtown, the, the casinos just seemed to be a complete mishap, uh, about the best way I know how to put it. And uh, I remember when I was going into some of those places, they had these signs up saying, hey, uh, sorry for situations beyond our control. We're doing things a little differently here. We're going to be doing check-ins manually. A lot of your slot machines, again, to go to the to the cashier's window and go ahead and just cash, cash out manually as opposed to just doing things with the cards. I guess it was uh, a pretty massive computer hack, it sounds like. There were two hacks that happened at the same time. So MGM and Caesars were both compromised. They were both compromised in similar ways. The reason that MGM was in the news was because they refused to pay the ransom. Caesars happened to have paid $15 million, $15 million in ransom to the attackers. Wow. So paying the ransom caused only a few days of disruption for Caesars. It's not widely known. They didn't end up in the news. Not paying the ransom put the cost of the breach for MGM in much more of a spotlight because they were losing $8.4 million a day for multiple days. That is nuts. And did they, did they ever find out who the guys were behind it? To date, we don't really know who did the attack, but it's interesting because MGM is a public company, they had to report to the Securities and Exchange Commission 
how much did they lose as a result of the hack? And the total amount that they lost was about $100 million in addition to $10 million to investigate the breach and repair its systems. That is, that, that's just mind-blowing. Yeah, because I, I think of, you know, what, the reason I thought immediately of you when I heard about it, first, first I know what you do, you know, with, with all cyber, with the cybersecurity, but also just thinking from a small business standpoint, you know, if a barbershop got hit with something like that, or I don't even know there's a way to hit an individual barber with something like that, but you keep hearing things about ransomware and that sort of thing. The thing you have to think about for a barbershop, either the shop owner who is renting space or the individual barbers who are paying the owner to rent space is that at the end of the day, everybody's livelihood is at risk if they don't have good security tools in place. With both MGM and with Caesars, the start of the attack or the root cause of the attack, I think is a better way to say it, is phishing. So in one case, it was voice phishing where somebody called over the phone and pretended to be somebody else. In the other case, it was email phishing. So a message came in through email that pretended to be somebody rather than who they actually were. And the phishing variants, voice and email, allowed unauthorized access to the system. So you think about your average barber who does a great job, but has the ability, the freedom, the flexibility to run his entire business from his cell phone. But now your cell phone offering all that convenience is also the single point of failure. And if you can be hacked because somebody sent you a text message that has a malicious link or somebody calls you and pretends to be somebody else and you fall victim because you're holding the phone with your ear while you're also holding clippers and scissors and mirrors and trying to be an octopus, not paying attention or not having enough awareness about the message that comes in, the legitimacy of the message, all of that puts every individual barber at risk and requires cybersecurity at the end of the day. I would love to meet the barber that's making $1.2 billion per year, I think is what sees or $2.1 billion is the revenue that Caesars had in the second quarter from its properties. I look forward to hanging out with the barber that's making $2.1 billion, but the impact of that loss is also very significant because when you average out, you know, what is the expense of running MGM as a facility and all those employees and all those costs and all that overhead, an individual barber that loses $10,000 could be as meaningful to Caesars as $100 million was because at the end of the day, that's $10,000 that that barber doesn't have in his pocket to take care of his family. Yeah, I don't know any barber who uh, $10,000 would not be a significant impact. That's uh, I mean, I'm not a barber. I run a regular company, but if I lost $10,000, I would not be happy about it. Oh, absolutely. Now, is there anything that can be done with these, these I guess, what are they, ransomware? Is there anything that can be done with that kind of stuff? In all cases, it's a combination of situational awareness, the security controls that you have in place, and just having good practices. For example, how often do you pick up the phone when it looks like it's your bank that's calling you? And then they say they were calling to verify a wire transfer. We need you to confirm your account number and your routing number. If you didn't, if you don't regularly initiate wire transfers, nine times out of 10, that's fraud. Or if you get an email that looks like it's a bank. Because I run an IT company, 
and I look at the emails that end up in quarantine for all of my employees, most of our fake email messages are one messages that tell them that they need to change their password. And then they put in their current username and their current password because they think that they have to change it. That's an easy way to give your credentials. Or a lot of my accounting people end up receiving messages about a wire transfer or an invoice that came in and you need to click on this link to verify it. Have good accounting processes that say, if somebody's sending me money, even if it is through Venmo or Cash App, there's only one way that Venmo or Cash App are going to send you a notification that you got money or that you sent money. So ignore the fake things. Become very familiar with what is legitimate. It's going to help you avoid becoming a victim and having your money stolen. Let me repeat back what I'm hearing back, hearing from you to see if I have a good grasp of this. It sounds like someone is pretending to be the bank. They are sending you an email. It might have the bank's logo. It might actually look legitimate. You have something at the bank.com. All, all the things are, their customer service number on that email might even be legitimate. But using that, they're, I guess they're trying to coerce into clicking on something and then you go into their, their little trap, I guess. Best way I know how to put it. One of the things that you have to consider about modern technology, whether it's an email message or just a picture that's sent to you, is that you can make anything look like anything. Like there's nothing that stops me from creating a website that looks like Bank of America. What causes my website to not be trusted as Bank of America is that Bank of America has a security certificate. And if you click on that little lock symbol on your internet browser, it's going to say that this website belongs to Bank of America, not to hackers.com. So it doesn't matter what the site looks like. What really matters is the ability of individuals, whether it's business owners who are barbers or just kids who are on the internet, all individuals should understand basic things about how do you verify the sender of the information and given that understanding, it allows you to say, hey, that's fake. I don't need to pay it any attention. I can delete it. Um, the other thing that becomes important is vocabulary. There are three specific types of phishing that all sound crazy, but they are evolutions of what started via email. So phishing is always going to be a fake message that's sent through email. The attacker is trying to cause the message to look legitimate. But when you click on the link or when you put in your information, it does something that's illegitimate that's going to cause you harm. Because so many people don't really use email anymore, they now have what is called vishing. So they took the PH out of phishing, replaced it with a V, and vishing is a scam that happens over the phone or voice email or voice internet protocol if you have an internet phone. I get all kinds of messages all throughout the day where people call me and pretend to be Microsoft and say, we detected an error on your computer. We need you to go to this website so you can give us control so we can fix it. Microsoft is not going to call me and help me out for free. They have too many customers. They don't care about me as an individual person. They don't even have my cell phone number. What I registered my Microsoft account was my company number, not my personal cell phone number. And what the attackers are doing, whether it's vishing over the phone or smishing through SMS or text messages or farming that happens when they try to send you to a fake website, all of these approaches are really just efforts by the attacker 
in large volume to trick as many people as they possibly can. So it's billions of messages that go out per day, but 1% of a billion people is still a lot of people because the attackers, the criminals, the fraudsters are making money. The activity continues to be pervasive. They're not targeting any specific person in most of these cases, even for MGM and Caesars. Those were targeted attacks, but the technique is still going to be the same thing that they use when they're randomly just sending all the messages out to you. So something as simple as clicking on a link in an email can expose the entire operation. Yeah, and I, I know this podcast is beyond the barber's chair, but if we think exclusively about barbers coming from a guy that just helps protect organizations, the best thing that every barber can do to not fall victim to these things is separate your personal life from your business life. You know, if I received phone calls to verify appointments, I would have a business phone and a personal phone. Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it costs a little more. But the amount that you spend in having exclusive business solutions is much less than the risk of the fraud that would cause you to lose money. You know, it's just like having a um, business computer. If the barber does all of his business from a cell phone, then have a business cell phone that only has business apps, only has the business bank account that's on there, and then set everything up as securely as possible with multi-factor authentication and with other solutions that are going to reduce your risk of compromise. And when you're doing work stuff, use your work phone. When you're doing personal things, use your personal phone. And then you'll be in a much less risky position and have much less exposure. Are there other steps that that barbers can take I know, like, well, I'll give you an example of something which I do, and I might just be wasting my time. But a while back, somewhere along the way, I'd heard there are, I guess, spots for the best, for the lack of a better term, that I'd call and try to get you to say certain things so they can record them. Like, if they can get you to say yes and have a recording of yes, so they can try to use that to voice verifying the accounts and things like that. Am I, am I way overthinking this thing here or? Well, remember that. It is possible. Everything is possible. Most attacks are indiscriminate. But if you know that you're dealing with a robot, then you can act like you're dealing with a robot. I never answer questions directly. Sometimes the robot calls me and tries to get me to donate to a cause, but I donate through my church. So I usually don't donate. I usually do not donate to random causes that call me on the telephone. And you know it's a robot because your phone rings and they say, hello, is this John? And what they expect you to say is, no, this isn't John. Who is this? Or who are you looking for? And I just say that I don't know who you're looking for. And I'll say it really slowly and really intensely. And the robot doesn't know what to do with that because the robot has been programmed to respond in a specific way based on specific preconceived or preplanned triggers. Like most people answer the phone and they say, this isn't John, or they'll say something that the robot was expecting, I try to say something ridiculous. If Papa Smurf left three hours ago, what do you want? Right. <laughs> Good old Papa Smurf. <laughs> so now when someone is getting, are, are there basic steps that people can take with these, with the emails or, or the, the, vi- the phishing you're talking about? If it's voice phishing, it depends on your cell phone provider. I have a Google phone. I believe the same thing is set up on Apple. But I have my phone set up to screen all numbers that are not in my address. 
and call screening has gotten so advanced that most of those voice-based phishing messages don't even get my phone to ring because the screening app has screened it in advance. One of the super easy things to do, I did it early in my business, is you can set up a Google Voice number. And then Google Voice has an app that you install on your phone. It could be Windows. It could be a Apple. It could be a Android. But with the Google Voice, you can program all of those features. And then maybe you don't need a separate phone. You just have a Google Voice number for your business activities. You have a personal number for your personal activities. And then you program the Google Voice number to respond in specific ways to specific callers. That becomes extremely easy. The only challenge with the Google Voice number is that some of those numbers have been out there for a while, and you may get assigned a number that already received a bunch of junk phone calls, and then it could become a distraction, which is the reason that my first recommendation was just to get an actual real phone number. The bank of phone numbers that Google has available in every zip code is limited. I remember I knew people, some guys who used to use a Google phone uh, as their second phone number, and it, they were getting called all the time. It was just amazing how, how often that phone would call. And uh, these guys are like in the middle of services and answering phones, which uh, that's, I'll usually just like go to voicemail, but uh, you know, they're in the middle of service and the phones are ringing. They're still trying to deal with all these bots while dealing with the haircuts. So all kinds of stuff happening out there. You would send me an, a, you sent me an article and I, I'm going to be going somewhere eventually with this here, uh, thinking here. You sent me an article about a company, I think it might've been another casino that got hacked in through their fish tank. Yes. Now, now that, that spoke volumes to me because I, I used to take care of saltwater aquariums. And I remember we had these controllers and they were just basically giving an IP address into the network along with all the equipment that they had, their sensors and everything. And through that network, they would tell the, they would tell the heater, all right, heat up. All right, don't heat up, heat up, automatic feeder. Okay, put some food in there, turn the lights on now, things like that. So it, it kind of makes sense. I, I could see it. But can you shed some light on how something like that happens? A couple of years ago, one of the really exciting concepts was the Internet of Things. And you had a large number of small devices that could be connected to the Internet. It's how you do your home automation. I can tell the robot in my bedroom to turn on the lights, turn off the lights, turn on the TV, turn off the TV. I can even control the temperature in my house through my voice. It's like living in the Jetsons. But one of the issues with all of those very small internet connected devices is that most of them were not designed with security in mind. And everything that connects to the internet, if it's insecure, could be compromised. So as the story goes for the fish tank, this was back in 2016. Casinos have very large fish tanks. The thermometer in the fish tank matters because in the real world, different fish live in different climates based on the temperature or the salinity or all of the other attributes of the water. And so it makes sense to have a sensor in the fish tank. Conceivably, it makes sense to have a thermometer that is connected to the internet so that notices can be sent to the phone of the person that is supposed to be monitoring the fish tank. What does not make sense is to have an internet-connected thermometer in the fish tank, and the thermometer is not secure, and that thermometer is connected to the rest of the casino network. And so the case for the casino that got hacked through the fish tank thermometer 
The issue was not necessarily that the thermometer was connected to the network. The issue was that the thermometer was connected to the corporate network, not a guest network or not something that was isolated or not something that was separated from the rest of the organization. You take that same idea and you apply it to a barbershop. Back when I had glorious locks and I would go to the barber on a regular basis to get it trimmed and cut and everything, you notice all kinds of things in the barbershop. You got video game machines, you have pool tables, you have TVs. All of those things are connected in many barbershops to the same network that the owner's computer is on and the printer and the computer might have billing systems. And you imagine if all the items in the barbershop are connected to the same network and it's a wireless network. So then the people in the offices next to the barbershop can also get on the same network and people outside the barbershop can get on the network and people behind the barbershop can get on the network. One of the issues of wireless communication is that everybody who is in range that has the right equipment, if they know the password or they dedicate the effort, they can probably connect to that network. And so now you have a barbershop where all of the critical communication assets are connected to the same network that anybody else can connect to. The barber who owns the shop is putting himself at risk because if he does real work on the computer, appointments, booking, financial transactions, connecting to bank accounts, or anything else, Every computer that's on the network, if that computer is insecure, can see what the barber is doing, and then it allows fraud, theft, calamity, destruction, all to take place because of bad security, not because the internet is bad. And it's the same deal that happened with the fish tank. If I were the person in charge of security at that casino, that fish tank would have been on its own network, and it would not have been able to communicate on the network that had the real computers or the slot machines or the game machines or anything else, it would have been a random device on a random network. And that was the only thing that was connected because it is legitimate that the fish tank needs to connect to the internet. It is not legitimate that the fish tank must have access to the rest of the devices on the network. And so you just use different networks. Now is, is setting up separate networks for the different equipment? Is that a pretty simple thing to do or? Yeah, the, I run my office out of my house. In my house, I purchased a separate wireless access point. The wireless access point that I have supports up to four different wireless networks. So I have company network, I have family network, I have internet of things network, and I have guest network. So when my children's friends come over, they're not connecting to my real network because I don't trust kids or their devices. Who knows where those devices have been? And it is not the children, but the children have been everywhere. They've been to the arcade. They've been to school. They've been to the mall. They've been to other people's houses. And the challenge in this case is that I don't want potentially compromised devices communicating on the network that I use to run my business, potentially compromising the computers that I use to run my business. And so there's a completely separate network just for guests so that they stay over there in no man's land by themselves and don't have any impact on what I really care about. So these separate networks are actually completely separate from each other. There's no bleed over at all to them, no common link at all where one can provide access to another one. They're networks on the same device, but the device has different antennas and all of the wireless devices 
are logically connecting to a different network. And so you can't jump from one network to another. It's much more difficult than you would think. And if you were really paranoid, you can just get separate wireless access points and connect those to the router from Comcast or Verizon or whoever your internet provider is. I actually don't use the wireless that's provided by Comcast. I turned off wireless and then I plugged in my own wireless access point so that I can control the device itself. And I don't have to depend on Comcast to set it up properly because they probably didn't. And it's not that Comcast is malicious, but if Comcast sends out the same device to 50 million people, surely somebody has figured out how to break into it. And I don't want to have to deal with those problems. So you don't have to take what Comcast gives you, you could, or whatever company gives you, you can actually have your own hardware and go through there. Yeah, I have a wireless access point from Comcast, but the wireless access point also has four wired network ports in it. So I just plugged my own wireless access point into the router that I get from Comcast. What happens in that case is that Comcast is responsible for the internet up to their device. Everything else beyond their device, they don't provide any support for. But YouTube is a wonderful thing. Everything you need to know about how the world works, there is a video on YouTube that explains how to set up networks, how to set up wireless access points. The vendor probably has instructions that tell you how to connect your separate wireless access point to your home router. And so there's lots of information on there. But this information becomes valuable, especially if you put it in the context of a barbershop. The barber should have a network for guests and then have a separate network for things that are exclusive to the owner of the shop to make sure that those devices are separated from thousands of people that are coming in and out of the barbershop each month. If you had a problem, who do you know? How do you know who did it? You don't. And so you want to set something up where the problems don't matter because it doesn't affect what's most important to the barbershop. One thing is I, I've seen in a few barbershops is guys would have this Roku stick or a fire stick or something like that. And they would use the internet to access any movie or any TV channel anywhere around the world. And it just seems to me like that would just be asking for trouble, having someone like that in there. Maybe not. I don't know. But if you, if they have the TV, I guess the TV and the, that stick on its own network away from everything else, anything could go into that stick without affecting the rest of the shop. Am I understanding that correctly? The thing that I want people to take away from the conversation is put untrusted devices on untrusted networks and put the things that you care about on a isolated network that doesn't have much going on. It's going to be much safer. And so that Roku device or that Fire Stick or whatever is the device that they're using is not really a trusted device. It shouldn't be on the trusted network. Now, when we talk about access to all movies, there's also issues with piracy. So maybe the barber doesn't want to have that device on a network that's named after the barbershop so that you can at least claim ignorance or say that it wasn't me like Shaggy. Right. Yeah. You, you, you'd love to think that kind of stuff doesn't happen, but I've seen it happen out there. David, I probably haven't spent as much time in barbershops as you have, but I have been in a barbershop. And I, I do know uh, some of the interesting things that happen. But if we focus exclusively on security, you know, we will leave privacy for or piracy 
for another conversation, a good principle for security is to separate devices based on how important they are to you and the organization. I really don't care that much about my smart TV. My smart TV is on a different network in my home office than my real work computer. Because something can happen, the smart TV is less likely to get hacked and the impact on my business is much lower if it gets hacked. But I absolutely have my work computer on a secure network. I've turned on all the security features. The firewall is on. I block all of the communications that are necessary. I don't allow my children to do gaming on the same network that I do my business on. Everything that I can possibly do to reduce business to reduce risk for my business activities has been done on the business network. And then because my wife is not at all a technology person, the regular network for the TVs and for the smart home devices is easy to use. You just plug it in and it works and you don't have all of the challenge that security adds in places where it doesn't really matter. If someone is say opening a barbershop or they're looking and say, Hey, I want to make some changes. You know, make, make sure I'm protected because my, my guess is, you know, as a barbershop owner, if something goes wrong in their shop with their networks, so they're the ones carrying the bag for it. That's what I would gather. What steps would you recommend they take? You know, if they, if they just want to go ground up and say, all right, let's face this whole thing and make it, make it what it needs to be to protect everybody. One of the cool things that the owner of the barbershop has the opportunity to do is go old school and run wires. Wireless is easy, but it is not the most secure approach. You know, if I were opening up a new barbershop, when I'm running the lines for the power, when I'm running the plumbing lines, when I'm having the TVs installed, just run network connections so that you have a wired connection to the smart TV, to the computers, to the other things, and then let the wireless be for the guests to come into the barbershop because everybody wants Wi-Fi while they're sitting there waiting their turn. A wired network is going to be easier. It's going to be more secure. People aren't just going to walk up and unplug your TV, unplug in their laptop and start hacking away in front of everybody. And so it identifies a very simple step that's going to help. If the barbershop is already standing, you know, you're not reconfiguring the walls. You don't have access to the frame of the building. If you are going to use wireless, I recommend different wireless access points one for customers and one for the business. You might even consider that if Comcast or Verizon or AT&T or your provider is running the internet for the business, they're going to put a physical access point somewhere in the barbershop. Maybe you just connect your computer directly to a VL wire instead of using wireless and the access point is sitting right there on the desk. A wireless, a wired cable from... Home Depot or Best Buy or pick your favorite electronics store is going to be less than $15 to give you peace of mind that you have a direct connection to the internet rather than trying to do it over Wi-Fi where other people can hack it. So the actual hardwired networks, they're not, they're not going to be hacked like a Wi-Fi would be, if I'm sharing that correctly. Completely different approaches. Okay. And I guess to, to your point, when you said they'd actually have to plug into the network itself to make that happen. So they might be taking out the TV or taking off your POS or your main computer to get, to get in there. Yeah. The, the other thing that I'd highlight is that if you are going to use wireless, make sure it's not a weak password and rotate the password periodically. 
if you always have the same password and your password is one, two, three, four, you might as well not have a password. <laughs> They'll right. pick something that is going to at least slow people down. Okay. What about like when barbers come in with their own phones and maybe we're taking payments for like cash app or Venmo or however we're taking them. Say it's like a booth rent situation where they pay their rent to the, to the owners and everything else gets processed by them. Are there, spe- are there specific things that can be done to protect the, the wireless network besides just telling everyone they can't use Wi-Fi? What I would tell a barber who is running his business from a cell phone is to not connect to Wi-Fi. Spend a couple of extra dollars and get an unlimited cellular plan. And then you don't have to worry about the security of the network in the barbershop because everything is happening on the cellular network, which is also much more secure. There's, there's a lot of things that bars can do on their own. Some things where they can go to YouTube and try to figure things out. At what point should they call a Kian or someone in, in your industry to come and help out? I am going to be the person that the person, the person that owns the barbershop is going to call me and then I'll come in and help them out. For the guys that are renting a booth, everything that I'm saying is free advice that's going to set them up that's not going to require them to spend a lot of money because the guy in the booth isn't dealing with the Comcast or the Verizon or anything else. Mm-hmm. The guy in the booth has the opportunity to have a secure cell phone that only has the apps that are necessary to run the business that allows the guy in the booth to run a very successful and profitable business without interruption. You know, Venmo is secure. Cash app is secure. The websites that they're using are secure. So it really just comes down to awareness. Don't fall for fake emails and fake phone calls. But for the most part, those transactions are going to go through without any problems. And then using the cellular network, instead of exposing your cell phone to compromise on the wireless network, is going to provide a lot of protection for the barber in the booth. For the guy that owns the entire shop, the sooner you have the conversation, the better. Because there are design decisions about where do you put the wireless access point? How do you separate them? How do you configure them? Our podcast would be much longer if we had a deep dive conversation about wireless network security, which would be overwhelming and it would bore 90% of the office or 90% of the audience because most of the people that are going to listen to a great podcast like this are focused on how do they do better in their booth, not how do you configure and secure a building. Mm -hmm. But it's for the people that want to configure and secure the building that I would be the right person to talk to because the placement of different devices, the amount of power generation in the antenna signal, the security protocol that you use, when you set up security and even all the decisions about remote access and firmware updates and patches, that's for the person that owns the building. That's a good conversation. But for the guy in the booth, we just want to make sure that good, common behaviors and practices that apply to everybody, whether you're a barber or just a regular person that sits behind a desk getting fat like I do, the regular everyday person stuff is valuable. It's free. It's easy. It's the big business stuff that focuses on the building, the facility, the computers, and the infrastructure where I'm going to provide the most help. From what I'm hearing here, there's actually three three different layers of security going on here. The barbers 
guys, just use use your own phone, use your own cellular data. Don't even bother with Wi-Fi and it's all secure. Everybody's safe. You don't have to worry about that on that end. Have a public Wi-Fi available for the clients and have that just be just clients. That's all that is. Y'all do your thing while you're in, in, the, in the shop there. And then have a separate network or networks for all the things in the shop, like the POS system, the shop computer, or anything else that needs to be done through through the shop itself. Yes. Okay. Got it. You, got it. Dave, you make a good student. You you listened well and you got it right. <laughs> it's that last part. That's one of the reasons why I like to repeat these back to make sure I'm actually understanding it. Because it, it, if, I, if I'm understanding what's being said, it's much easier for me to have the conversation with somebody else or to carry the conversation through with you as well. So it definitely helps out. You mentioned the point of sale system. That is another one of those examples where people don't pay a lot of attention. When you go into a reset, when you go into a retail store, most of those POS systems are wired. They're not wireless. There's a reason that they're wired because it cuts down on fraud and it cuts down on hacking. It stops people from stealing information. The, the first major wireless network attack happened to TJ Maxx back in the 90s. And somebody sat out in their car and they connected to the wireless network. The wireless security protocol was something called WEP. It was supposed to be equivalent to wireless security, but the way that they did encryption was very weak. But TJ Maxx had a lot of data stolen from their POS system because POS was connected to Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi was insecure, a person in a car was able to gain access to it and stole a lot of money. But that is a story from the 90s. We we have learned enough in the last 30 years that we can connect POS systems to the network via wire. We can set the wireless network up securely. We can only allow authorized devices to connect. The time, money, and effort that the owner is going to spend setting those things up is going to be the thing that prevents a hundred million dollars worth of losses or because it's a POS system it's going to prevent fines from the payment card industry because they have requirements for protecting credit card data because they lose money every time a POS system gets hacked. I've seen some places where the POS also has remote units to read cards and run transactions, things like that. I'm assuming that's Wi-Fi. Is there a way to protect between there and the main POS as well, or? You have lots of options. It could be Wi-Fi. It could be cellular. It just comes down to how you're setting up the security protocols, which goes back to our earlier conversation. You want to use strong encryption for the wireless connection. You don't want to use a shared password for your POS because if somebody guesses it, you're in trouble. You don't want to have your point of sale systems on the same network that your guests and every random stranger that walks by is connecting to, that would be a dedicated network, whether it's wireless or wired, that is configured properly, that is secured appropriately, that is going to prevent unauthorized access, which is going to be for the benefit of the owner. Ken, is there is there anything that we haven't covered so far that you think is important to make sure we get in here? I think the other thing that we'll cover, because my son still has his flowing head of locks, and still goes to the barber <laughs> is the idea about 
reading the license agreement and what the provider offers in terms of protections and what liability is for the appointment setting apps. You know, there's lots of apps that lots of barbers individually and in shops used to set appointments, but the barber is ultimately responsible for protecting personal information. And so if you use a bad app and that app gets compromised, the barber could be subject to all of the breach notification requirements that exist in Georgia, if we're talking about Georgia or anywhere for that matter, depending on how broad and far and wide our viewership is for the podcast. But the National Conference of State Legislatures has a website, ncsl.org, that lists all of the breach notification requirements for all states and U.S. territories that have a privacy law. And the, the barber is not exempt. I know some barbers that have 500 customers. If you're in California and 500 customers have their data breached, you're subject to the California privacy regulation that has the stiffest penalties in the United States because the barber is a business and the harmed people are consumers and business to consumer transactions have very strict privacy requirements. It doesn't matter that you use somebody else's software as the collector of the data, the barber is responsible for making sure that that data is collected. The best advice I can give to barbers is to read the contract, understand the liability, make sure that whatever you're using to set appointments is also secure so that you're not responsible for the loss or the compromise of credit card data or personal information because you're using a solution from somebody that doesn't care about security. That could be a whole nother segment uh, for the yeah, podcast. I, I, my head is just spinning on that one. It was like, wow. There are people who say that computers can actually be pretty simple. They're just not easy. And then there's folks like me who look and say, man, tech can really get away with a whole lot of stuff, which is ironic because I used to work with tech. And I, I look at it and it's, it's easy to mess things up with, tech, with technology. And just one, one, one misstep can actually set up a whole bunch of different dominoes. This is why people like me are around. I've known some excellent barbers. My barber, when I did go to the barber regularly, was my same barber for 20 years until my hair stopped growing and I didn't need a barber. Now I just have a really good razor. But I, I care about him. You know, I want him to be successful. And so he can focus on being a master barber and I can focus on being the person that he comes to when he has a question about security so that he can get everything set up properly and focus on what he's really good at. Ken, if someone wants to get in touch with you, if they want clarification or want to say like, you know, bring out, bring your services on board or something like that, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? The two best ways are number one, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. I'm the only Keon Williams on LinkedIn. That's not my son. And you can obviously tell which is which. <laughs> if you go to linkedin.com slash in slash Keon, K-E-Y-A-A-N. It's the direct link to hear interesting things. I crack jokes. I publish all kinds of um, fun things on LinkedIn. The other option is just to go to class-llc.com. It's the company website. People can use the contact us box, send a question. My team and I, my team or I will follow up as soon as possible with a proper answer. The only, the only uh, limitation, the question must be ethical, legal, or moral. 
that's a ridiculous question that goes outside those boundaries. I'm not going to answer it. But if somebody has a legitimate question, they just want good advice or they want to be pointed in the right direction. I have team members that are dedicated to that. They can ask for me directly and I can help them out. But if somebody just wants to know, hey, what are some good X, whatever that variable is, it's easy to have us give good sound advice so that you don't fall victim to fraudsters and scams and scammers. So what have you got coming up in the next, anything coming up that you want to talk about or promote? Well, I don't think I'll see lots of barbers there, but I am about to travel all over the world talking about cybersecurity. I'll be in Nashville next week. I'll be in Chicago the week after. I'll be in Atlanta the week after. I'll be in Oman in November. And God willing, I'll also make it to Kuwait, to Egypt, and possibly to Jordan. I'm in a cool position where I get to go around the world talking to people about security and helping them do the same thing that I encourage all of the barbers listening to the show to do. Well, yeah, Keon, like I said, I, I really appreciate your time. I know you're really busy. You got things happening all over the place here, especially with all the travel coming up. And I know it's not the easiest subject for people to really wrap their heads around, but I appreciate you helping to make it simpler for us. So, yeah, at least if nothing else, we know that we don't know. We need to hire a professional to kind of help out or something like that. Yeah, Dave, I'll leave your audience with one thought. If you can hook up an Xbox or a PlayStation, you can do basic cybersecurity things. And so I'm sure there are lots of barbers that are listening to the show that in their downtime can hook up a gaming console and get some good gaming in. If you can do that, you can do this when we're talking about the basics. If it goes beyond the basics, reach out. I'm happy to help. Well, thanks again, Ken. And I look forward to seeing you again real soon. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode of Beyond the Barber's Chair. I put links for my guests and for anything we discussed in the description. I hope you got something great and that it helps you as a barber and in life. If you like the podcast, I hope that you will tell a friend about it and subscribe so that you don't miss any upcoming shows. I'll see you next time as we go beyond the barber's chair.